everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing this week? I am okay, thank you. Um, it's Saturday. I had to go out and go to the post office and pick stuff up. And there were all the other people there. Um, so I came back very quickly, and I now have a cup of tea, and I'm talking to you. So life is good again. Ugh, people. Ugh, people. <laughs> Completely agree with you. How are you, Mandy? I am so much better than I was when we recorded Monty Python like 16 hours ago. <laughs> so I am less medicated and I can breathe. Hooray! That is yeah. useful. <laughs> so this is episode number 15 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about serenity on your I Swallowed a Bug podcast. If you listen to our Firefly episodes, you know that I repeatedly referenced having seen Serenity. So this is an instance where we are actually doing a show that I saw. Uh, I watched it back in 2006, 2007. I had no idea who any of these characters were. And the whole thing was just really super confusing. I didn't know what was going on. And then I promptly forgot all of it, except for that one image of Badass River in her green dress. I knew watching Firefly, that I had seen River with those weapons, all lit with this like green blue light, and that she was a badass. And it finally paid off, because I got that image. Yeah, the movie does a lot more leaning on River uh, as very capable, and, and this fierce fighter than the series does. And it's so easy to conflate the two, because in the series, she she doesn't get the opportunity to do much, because it's about her development. Right. Right. Um, I saw this, I think, weekend of release. Uh, I was really, really excited about it, having been a big Firefly Firefly fan when it was um, first aired and having had the DVDs and forced other people to watch it and enjoy it. Um, so <laughs> I, I went and saw this at the cinema as soon as possible. All right. That would have been in 2005 because Serenity was released in September of 2005, uh, three years after the TV show it was based on Firefly was first aired. This was creator Joss Whedon's cinematic directorial debut, having written or worked on scripts for a number of films previously. It had a budget of $39 million, but only just made that amount in box office revenue. On its opening week, it ended up second in the box office ranking after the Jodie Foster mystery thriller Flight Plan, making $10 million that week. I think they had bigger expectations for this film coming second on its opening week and to only just make back. And, that, and that's its production budget. That's not throwing in all the money they would have spent on marketing, shipping, the, the any, any residuals that had to be paid to people. Right. Yeah, right. Not, not the success they wanted. It's surprising that it, that it didn't do more than that based on the, the fanfare around it. And, and literally fanfare, I mean... The, the fans were pretty rabid about it, and it just, it's still a little bit baffling to me. Yeah. It, yeah. it does give us, um, I was reminded in the week of one of the great Big Bang Theory moments where it's a flashback to Leonard and Sheldon first meeting and signing the roommate agreement. And oh, I mean, right. you, you have to keep Friday evenings free because that's when Firefly is on, and that will be running for the next decade. Yes. Like, oh, <laughs> that's dark. Uh, too soon, too soon, right? Yeah. Well, after the cancellation of Firefly, Whedon looked at options for continuing the franchise, starting to push for a movie. And he didn't care what kind of movie. It could have been cinematic or TV. He just wanted to keep working in this universe. According to reports, he asked his contacts at Universal Studios to help make the film, and they eventually agreed to buy the movie rights and fund a full cinematic feature. 
The news that Universal would support him came just a month after learning that his TV show, Angel, would not be renewed for another season. Which, I guess, you know, when, when one door closes, a window opens somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the whole Angel thing is oh, such a sad story because he, um, in season four to season five, they got renewed really late. So there were writers turning down jobs, but really worried they were going to lose out. So for Angel Season 5, he pushed for renewal really early so that people were a bit more sure of themselves and they took the decision to cancel it. Whereas if they'd run the whole season, they probably wouldn't have. Oh, that's painful. That's that's a learning experience. And and it's really interesting that it's... uh, Well, no, it's interesting to me that it's Universal Studios who uh, funded it because they tried a lot of sci-fi, sort of epic franchise sci-fi stuff for the early 2000s. But none of it landed in 2000 they released pitch black and then they had the follow-up to that chronicles of riddick they had the hulk film by ang lee and they did fantasy stuff so they did things like the cat in the hat and so on and just uh, with serenity as well nothing saw any success but they kept kind of of trying to do these big space operas or something Um, and it was not until 2008 when you have the release of the incredible hulk and hellboy 2 that they actually saw films that were at least critically lauded, if not hugely commercially successful. And both of those have not yet been followed up. But yeah, Universal is an odd choice at that time because they were trying and not landing anything. Yeah, you know, Joss had a friend who worked at Mm. Universal and I think that's why he went there. And um, the the head of the studio who eventually ended up approving it, I think, saw the show and was a fan. And that's why they ended up moving forward with it. Mm. Which was good for Joss. I mean, he he still got a little bit of closure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you suspect he learned a lot from this that then took him into the the wild success he's had since. Right, right. And and speaking of that fan base that we were talking about before, it is thought that the success of the Firefly DVD helped push Universal to really support the project mm. because it sold out in less than twenty four hours after the pre order was announced. <sighs> which is just incredible yeah it it is really good because you can buy the whole thing at once and like i've said before buy it and give it to other people and it came out just the right time to be christmas presents right right uh when whedon sat down to write the screenplay he realized he had an arduous task ahead of him not only was he to continue the story of firefly basing the plot on his planned second season but he also had to introduce the story to new viewers He said that the original idea was that River is a cool psychic weapon and they want her back. And then when I started to map out the next few years of the series and all my naive hilarity, I came upon what ultimately would be the plot of the movie, which was supposed to take two years to develop and now takes a little under two hours. Originally, the film was set to shoot over 80 days at a projected cost of $100 million. Universal, however, would not approve a budget that high and thought that shooting overseas would minimize cost. Joss, however, was unwilling to uproot his family and insisted that everything be shot locally. He was adamant that it could be done in fewer days and for less than half the expected budget. Universal agreed, and Whedon did pull it off. Serenity was filmed in 50 days for $39 million. That's really interesting. It makes me want to go and read some production history on something like The Avengers. obviously such an epic thing and had a a much bigger budget and a much bigger shooting thing did he go overseas for that did he move his not move his family or leave his family behind well i'm i'm fairly certain the avengers had a significantly higher budget oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um and then of course the the follow-up to that for him was much to do about nothing which is filmed at his house 
with his bezies. <laughs> right, right. And all in black and white, too. In black and white as well, yeah. yeah. On, on a, a script he basically doesn't have to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is this movie about? Serenity takes place after the events of Firefly. We're told that Simon and River have been on the ship for eight months. So in theory, this is only a few months after Objects in Space. Since River and Simon are still fugitives, the Alliance Parliament sends one of their operatives, a.k.a. mercenary, to track them down and kill them. River begins remembering secrets she learned while at the Alliance Academy, which leads the Serenity crew to a planet called Miranda, where all of the inhabitants seem to have just laid down and died. Yeah, I think that covers it. Yeah. As usual, we do like to tell everybody where we watch this movie, so if you would like to do the same, you can. Uh, I do not own it. I do own Firefly on DVD, but I don't own Serenity, so I actually had to rent it on Amazon because it was not available on any of the subscription streaming services. I do own this film on DVD, so I watched it the same way that I watched the series. You guys can probably predict that I have my DVD collection sorted into an order, and that order is alphabetically, but this film is out of order because it's filed under F. Because if I'm looking for uh, Serenity which I don't generally, but if I do go looking for Serenity, I'm looking for it under Firefly Movie. And does does your eye twitch every time you see that S out of place? Nope. Nope. No, it, it just works for you. Yeah, and part of the point you said earlier about Universal buying the movie rights, so they didn't buy the TV rights, they couldn't you know, make a new TV series or anything. They also didn't buy the rights for the name Firefly, so that's why this is called something different. Oh, mm. okay, that makes sense. So there's this whole thing of who owns the rights to what bit. Right. Uh, to be able to do stuff with a little little bit like uh, Marvel and all the different characters. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So you'd already seen this, but you'd basically forgotten it. And I, I think throughout the Firefly episodes, we can see that you, you really had no clue what was coming. So what were your expectations <laughs> coming into it again? I honestly expected to love it because I had fallen in love with these characters over the course of watching Firefly. And so I really thought, I was excited to watch Serenity, to, to jump back into the universe and, and get to spend more time with these characters. So did you enjoy it? Did you love it? Oh, no. No. No, I didn't. It, it hurts my heart to say that, honestly. But yeah, I I really have no feelings of attachment at all to this movie. It was just not what I wanted it to be. And that makes me sad. Yeah. Guys, it is really problematic. This is not a great film. And it's not a great Joss Whedon script or, or written thing either. For someone who is so such high quality, we'll get into the details shortly. But oh, it's really sad. And, and this is one of those things that Star Wars taught me. I can remember in 99 going to see Phantom Menace and just being so hyped. I downloaded uh, trailers and photos over my dial-up connection, and I was really excited <laughs> for this film. And then coming out of it going, oh, yeah, it was a new Star Wars film. Great. Why aren't I happy? Right. <laughs> and, ha- and having to figure out, like, oh, okay, you can be excited for a film, but it be- can be crap and you don't enjoy it. That learning experience t- took me to this. That I was really excited for it. Great new Joss Whedon thing. He's such a great writer. It's going to be awesome. Coming out going... Well, that was pretty ordinary. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and ordinary for Joss is, is just bad. Mm. You know? And I think I think what happened is he tried to do too much. He tried to please mm. everybody. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned that, you know, he had to keep the story engaging enough for 
for the fans of Firefly who wanted to see more, but because it was a standalone movie, he also had to introduce this world to new viewers. And trying to do both of those at the same time just really didn't work. Mm. And and it left everything kind of done very averagely and nothing was done well. That makes me wonder, would it have been better off leaning one way or the other either making it okay we're going to assume you've watched the stuff before a bit like uh, you know the, the modern mcu films they assume you've seen all the avengers at least uh, to get into the new plots right or would it have been better to i almost redo firefly or just start off with a lot more detail going into it and people who've seen the series will just have to cope could that have helped it i i think either one of those would have helped it because I I feel like what happened is we get this hot mess that's that's not really incredible for either viewing group. And so mm. neither viewing group got super excited about it. And I, I feel like that's probably why it didn't do very well. If it had catered more towards the people who who were already in the fan base, I feel like it could have just done so much better. This movie was released in September. In April, Universal launched kind of a grassroots marketing campaign for this movie, and they Mm. previewed a rough cut of the film in 35 cities where the Nielsen ratings were the highest for Firefly. They didn't advertise it, they didn't give it the name of the movie, and they relied solely on word of mouth for promotion. All all 35 of these screenings sold out in less than 24 hours. And that's just a rough cut of the movie when nobody knew what what it was, you Mm. know? And that was when everybody was still really excited about it. And so the fan base was there. And and so I don't understand why that didn't translate into the theatrical release other than it wasn't what people wanted out of the movie. Yeah, they were just so ravenous for more. And is it even possible that those people who'd seen the rough cut went, we're not going to see that at the cinema? (laughs) I, I think it could be, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It's total speculation for me. Yeah, because you make something but... that appeals to the, the super fans, some of the Batman movies, for instance. People go and see it again and again. They go, oh, that's really good. In fact, Star Trek's a really good one for this. People will go and see it multiple times because they're so so dense for them. Or you make it for the people who haven't seen it, and you get more people able to come and see it, plus the super fans sort of taking their friends and getting them caught up. Right. So I want to prepare our listeners. I know it sounds like we're just grumpy gusses who are going to talk <laughs> just bad things. We, we do have a section coming up where we're going to talk about our favorite lines and moments and things like that. And we do have some. There are good things in this movie. But mm. first, we are going to talk about some of the problems that we had with it. Yeah. Because those are going to generate the most conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone who's listened to us before, it's much easier to deal with the problematic or, or the, the rough bits. And then move into, okay, but actually, why do we enjoy it? So, yeah. Let's get them done. <laughs> so, for me, initially, the timeline wasn't clear uh, in the movie. I've, at first, I thought that the movie just erased the show uh, because when we see Simon rescuing River, that didn't really line up with how the rescue happened in the show. And so, I thought they were just rewriting it. And then I realized that wasn't really the case. They were just kind of giving more detail and retconning a little bit. Then, well, guys, I really, really, really love these characters at the end of Firefly. And these just aren't the same characters that we left in Objects in Space. They've been reset. 
where is my found family? That's what I talked about so much mm. over the last, you know, two thirds of our Firefly run that I loved the found family aspect of this crew. And that did not exist in this movie at all. You get things like Mal talking to Simon saying, I look out for me and mine. That don't include you unless I conjure it does. That is not my Mal Reynolds. Mm. Who is this guy? And the point where he decides to be a captain, he's going to go and find out what Miranda is and, and uh, after they've taken out Book. He's awful. Just absolutely imposing his will and, and threatening to completely abandon them rather than what we've seen in Serenity where he's a lot warmer. What we've seen in Firefly, sorry, where he's a lot warmer and he's able to give some decent oratory that makes people follow him rather than shooting people in the background as a it's my way or the highway. Yeah. Actually, I, I have the shooting script in front of me, and mm. so I'm going to read read that section, because I honestly don't remember if he said all of this, because there's a, a word in here that I'm not going to say, so I don't have to mark this as explicit, that I don't actually recall Mouse saying, and it shocked me when I was reading this, but mm. you'll have to remind me if he did. He said, I mean to confound those bungers and take my shot at getting to Miranda, maybe finding out what all I'm dying for. That's the only path I see left, and I gotta walk it. So I hear a word out of any of you that ain't helping me out or taking your leave, I will effing shoot you. Yeah, he definitely doesn't say that, does he? I didn't think that he did. I mean, he said something similar to that, but I don't remember him him being quite that emphatic about it. Mm. But um, I think the intent is the same, and that is not the same Mal that we knew in Firefly, especially at the end of Objects in Space when he's welcoming River back onto the ship. Yeah, he's he's a lot smarter in the show and not just prone to an outburst like that. Right. And then Simon. Can we talk about Simon for a few minutes? We can talk about Simon. Everyone wanted me to talk about Simon because I am Simon. (laughs) Maybe not this Simon because of his, you know, chiseled abs. (laughs) well which simon are you are you firefly simon or serenity simon because they are not the same man no they're not at all this is the man who didn't swear who was very appropriate and that was how he showed his respect for someone tell me about serenity simon please you stupid selfish son of a whore (laughs) who is that simon would never say that Mm. ever i just I like I feel like I need to bang my head against a wall because these are not my characters and it I'm having a hard time understanding how Joss wrote both versions and thought they were the same. I can't remember there being any Chinese in Serenity. So is that something they were forced to take out? Cuz that normally um, would have that's the that's the exact moment in Firefly you would have had a Chinese expression. The shooting script has tons of Chinese in it. Mm. Um I did remember recognizing that line because I was like, wow, that was a, a, a Chinese insult in, in the show. Yeah. So I was surprised to hear it in English in the movie. I, I, I don't know. The shooting script did have lots of Chinese in it, though, because it has okay. all of the, the translations, too. But there are a lot of things in the shooting script that weren't in the show or in mm. the movie. So I'm Things I can understand them sure. cutting out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay, so here's something. If you if you read my thoughts, Doc, I did make a comment about how Jane was the only person who was recognizable as Jane, and that is true for most of the movie, but there were two instances where he was just completely broken. One, when River was freaking out and, and he was concerned about her, 
Yeah. I was very surprised that just would never happen. Yeah, that should have been any character other than Jane. It, it could have been one of the hostage people in the bank. Right. It, absolutely, absolutely. it just could have been one of them. But Jane, it just didn't seem right. And he, he'd had a moment just before that when they get out of the thing and he does his shiny, let's be bad guys. Like, that's right. you know, the cool hero moment. And that's better than anything he had in the series. And you go, oh, okay, he's going to be awesome now. And but no. then they kind of break him. <laughs> and then later on, he calls Simon. Simon, the, the the doctor who, like, he wanted to leave behind and then stole all his stuff <laughs> in the show. He calls Simon noble for looking after River. No offense, Doc. I think it's noble as a grape the way you look to River. Who is this Jane? Yeah. That, I can, I, I can forgive that because that is in the middle of a rant of, it's really noble what you're doing. But yeah, we should get rid of these guys. <laughs> no, because, I mean, do you remember, I, I'm not even sure which episode it was now because they all kind of run together, but the episode where River slashed Jane's chest with the butcher knife mm-hmm. and Jane Wacky is just fun. ranting and ranting about getting them off the ship while Simon is sewing his chest up. Mm. That's the same kind of rant. And he never once said anything about how he thought Simon was noble there. He just wanted him off the ship. Yeah. This is a bit later, though. They're more of a found family. No, they're not. Well, no, they're they're not portrayed as such. But if we take it as (laughs) what perhaps it should have been and could have been, this is a softer version because he's gotten used to having them around. And and he can exactly expect, like, Simon is looking after him and his. To, to use their, their expressions. Fair, okay. And he can, he can understand that as noble, and because they've spent time together, he can you know, be a bit more empathetic. But she ain't his sister, and she ain't Mal's crew. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that one. I will. Because Jane, I, I, I will Jane is the one. most recognizable out of all of them, honestly. Yeah. Did Wash wear a Hawaiian shirt at all in this movie? No. Is he in, like, a burgundy thing in this, or...? Yeah, he's wearing, like, this weird, like, almost armor-looking thing. All in solid colors, and I wanted to go back and kind of scroll through screen grabs to see, because there are images that they say are from the movie where he is wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and the shooting script says he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, but I don't recall seeing that at all, and it just was so strange. Yeah, but it's it's only wash, isn't it? So, (laughs) Okay, well then let's talk about Kaylee. Just FYI, I've been accused of hating wash, so... I'm leaning into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Wash didn't really do anything in this movie. Right? (laughs) Well, he did. He does have one thing that he definitely does. He definitely gets harpooned through the chest. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to come to that in the moments that I love, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. Let's talk some more about uh, breaking characters. Mm. Kaylee. Did you think Kaylee broke character in this? Or is it just me? I'm not sure. Because Kaylee's a fairly easy character to write. She's the one person who actually talks to everyone um, and has a decent range of interactions. bit that stands out for me for for Kaylee that doesn't seem right is you get the end of that terrific credit sequence all through the ship and mounting up on the mule and and dealing with uh, River and so on. And they then drive off, but you have this extra few seconds of her speaking to the Doctor while the Doctor stalks off. And it's a little bit unnecessary, and, and after the great setup they've just done, we should continue ploughing into the action rather than breaking the pace there. I, I feel like that's a 
that's an issue maybe with the filming, but that mm. doesn't break her character for me because she, in the show, she frequently said wistful things under her breath as Simon walked away. Yeah, true. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually looking for the scene in, in the script that, that broke her for me. And it's where she bites back at Mal mm. when, when Simon and River are getting ready to leave. Tell that to Honora. That's not the same Kaylee who says things like, I love my captain. Mm. He gets the the hug around the shoulders and yeah. Right. It's just, it it bothered me a little bit. I feel like there's not a single character from the crew who did not get broken in this world. Mm. Yeah, I think I would agree. Yeah, that moment's on the uh, station they go to. Mm. And yeah, Yeah. she, she just then storms off because yeah. she's sad about him going. And, actually, and that comes just after, again, a terrific moment with her where she has her line about... Going on a year now, I ain't had nothing. Twix, my nethers weren't run on batteries. Oh, God. I can't know that. And, and we, we talked earlier, I think Strangely Literal wanted us to talk about Kaylee's sexual positivity. And this is it. This is that moment. One of the production stories I read was that even the actress, when she was doing it, she was going, oh, you know, whispering it to Mel, ain't nothing been in my nethers. But Josh Whedon kept going up to her going, no, you're really proud, uh, own this, and actually say it. Right. And, and the way she, she delivers it is really, really confident. And it's just, it is. it's just a fact that she wishes she had someone to have fun with. Right. And then Jane's all gross, <laughs> which we don't need. <laughs> well, he's Jane. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jane does. Yeah. He, like you say, he's the least broken. He, he at least delivers as he always has done. Right. So let's let's talk about some of your problems with the movie. Yeah, I've some of the things we've talked about how they've they've not really written it for either the the, the fans of the show or the people coming to it fairly new. There's a number of them that stand out for me, and particularly it's it's the contrast you can give between Mister Universe and Shepherd Book. Because Shepard's book just isn't on the ship, and it's not really mentioned. So if you, if you are a fan coming into this having watched Firefly, you go, oh, where's Shepard's book? I'm sure we'll find out later. And we eventually do. They turn up on a planet, he's just there. And it's um, almost like the moment in Force Awakens where the uh, the Millennium Falcon is just suddenly there on screen. Everyone's supposed to go, hooray, yeah. But there were only 14 episodes, and not many people watched that TV shit series. <laughs> so right. to suddenly have this person showing up without giving us some build-up of, Okay, let's go and lay low. Let's go and see Shepard Book. Hey, who's Shepard Book? Oh, he's that guy who was on the ship for a bit who brought us strawberries. Something. Right. And it's contrasted with Mr. Universe, who... And, and I've seen a number of people call this out. They they just go, we should go and see Mr. Universe. And they do, and suddenly he's there, and he's this guy with all these TV screens and able to, to help them move the plot on a bit. And I've seen people say it's really weird because it's like they're referencing him like we know him, like he's been in the series, but he hasn't. And they're treating mm-hmm. both characters in the exact same way. But one stands out because there's been no setup for him. Another one doesn't stand out because they have, but you're relying on, I want to say, extra textual evidence. Something coming from outside this movie itself. And both of them right. need a line in there. Mm-hmm. Something of, we need to go and see Mr. Universe. And Simon goes, who? And they go, he's this guy who's got loads of TVs. And then we go to a guy with loads of TVs. Just something, you know. Right, because... I'm not Joss they... Whedon. I can't write that dialogue as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was weird because the way Wash said it, it was as if he just expected all of us to know who Mr. Universe was. Yeah. And no, 
No. And he's a, a fairly standard character type, very nerdy and believing in the conspiracy theory stuff and, and lots of tech, so fine. But it just needs another line. And, and to the same thing, the way Mal defeats the operative at the end. So you have the bit at the beginning with the scientist and he says, you know, you, you deserve to die in a good way, not just put down because of your great successes. So he hits him in the nerve cluster and puts the sword in front of him. And it's, you know, the setup of, of Chekhov's nerve cluster and sword ending. <laughs> so he does the exact same thing with Mal, but Mal had that nerve cluster moved or taken out or something because of some shrapnel he took in the war. But we've had absolutely no build up to that. So when I say something like, Chekhov's nerve cluster so it sets us up to expect how that that punch that jab to the back works we also need Chekhov's shrapnel for him to have said just something about oh yeah I got hit by a grenade and it covered me in shrapnel earlier in the film just some line that ties in and we go oh okay it's not just a random thing they've made up to get out of that moment right Hmm. they really didn't talk about the war very much in the movie it was brought up a few times but mostly just in passing you know it was in the beginning and in rivers dream hologram thing (laughs) yeah and and then when the operative decided to cross-reference you know criminal records with war records and and figured out who mal was in that way but but other than that they really didn't talk about it much except when jane was trying to blame mal for killing everybody in his platoon apparently see i feel like they did use the war a lot and they use it too much i again we've talked about this on previous episodes i i think the war is poorly used in firefly because it's such a big setup at the beginning of the pilot you come to believe a a thing of or or it implies a thing of the south will rise again if you'll excuse the expression they they were beaten but they want independence so maybe sometime it'll come back around and for everything that we see it's not that important it just informs the characters a little right so the the show leans on it more more heavily than perhaps it should for the for the worth it gets fair point fair that's, point that's my opinion I, I like the way they use it sometimes the the reference after mal does his captain picard bit of shooting the guy who's been taken by the reavers zoe then mm-hmm. questions him about it about it and she says in the time of war we would have never left a man stranded maybe that's why we lost and great, it's just a little thing, and it's, it again, it informs you of the character moving on and the way he looks back on his time there. But for then the, the operative to do this whole thing of, oh, he hates us because of what we did to him, he fought in Sorrenti Valley, it's too much, there's better ways of doing that. Okay, I can see that. My, my real thing in the film that I cringe every time I see it is River's breakdown on Miranda. So when they've been on the planet and, and she's looking more and more freaked out as they walk around and they keep finding all the people who just laid down Uh, and eventually she starts grabbing her head and she starts shouting it it makes me laugh it's so bad make them stop they're everywhere every city every every house every room they're all inside me i can hear them all they're saying nothing get up please get up it reminds me of Kate from Angel with her father. Tell me a beautiful lie. As I say, for, for someone who writes such good dialogue and can do such quality, when you think back on how good Drusilla and Dana were, yeah. and some of the things they used to go on about, it's just her shouting typical stuff of someone having a freakout. The, cin- the the cinematography is wonderful. The spinning camera around her as she's seeing all this that we can't see. Right. Really good, but the, the words don't stand up to it. I think 
I just didn't really pay much attention to the words because I was focusing so much on the cinematography there. And and I knew she yeah. was shouting and she was freaking out and, and it made sense because of what she was seeing, you know, dead bodies everywhere. And so I didn't really pay much attention to that. And just knowing what they did to her, even though, you know what, they don't actually address this in the movie at all. But knowing that her amygdala was stripped and that she feels all of these emotions all the time, mm. you know, that explains why she's feeling all of these people who are dead and, and she's freaking out. They're all inside me. Please, God, make me a stone. <laughs> so See, that just doesn't bother me. <sighs> and and perhaps that's almost the thing. It just does what it needs to do. But there's nothing in there that you remember. Again, when you compare it to some of the quality that he's written elsewhere. At pivotal moments of pivotal shows, take away your your friends and your weapons, what's left. Some of the great dialogue he's ever written. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's written a lot more great dialogue than anything we see in the script. Yeah. And my my big question, every time I watch it, and I, I think I said this on Twitter and, and no one really knew quite how to come back at me with it. Firefly, the pilot serenity had a good lead time they thought about the world and what they were going to write and how the first few seasons were going to look and what the characters did so it's a long time and then when you get into writing a tv show you're generally writing maybe eight weeks ahead maybe two or three weeks ahead of the air date Mm -hmm. so you have to do things quite quickly this film had two years of writing and development plus all the history they'd done for firefly Mm -hmm. and yet it's like we said up top it's ordinary it is ordinary. I wonder if some of that can be attributed, though, to this being Joss's first movie, where it was his movie. Mm. You know, because in in the um, the official companion to the movie, there's I mean, there's a big long interview with Joss, and mm. and he talked a lot about how shooting a movie is just so very different than shooting a TV show. Yeah. Um, the rehearsals are different. The blocking is different. The the time frames are different. Just everything is different. And so I wonder if if some of that could be that he just hadn't quite found his his movie footing yet. Yeah, perhaps so. Because again, he's gone on to do great things. The Avengers he is one of the greatest action adventure films ever made. Age right. of Ultron is not as good, but he was hamstrung by that. Yeah, it's a, still a very very good film. There's just stuff that he had to do that he didn't want to. Cabin in the Woods is an incredible film. If people haven't seen that, that is one to go and find. Particularly Absolutely. you you Hemsworth fans and Grey's Jesse fans. <laughs> Does he have a nickname? Um, you know, there's McDreamy and McSteamy. Did he ever get oh, a nickname? Oh, no, no. He never okay. had a nickname. I'm only thinking He's that look, we, we, we talked about Sarah Ramirez, and I watched an interview with her uh, with Oprah at, at the beginning of, of Grey's. And they just keep talking about things with McDreamy and McSteamy. And every time I want to just claw my ears out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matthew. Too much whimsy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, not enough science. I, I am a robot, so that's fair. Uh, well, we've been talking about the script and, and the dialogue and, and Joss's writing. So I, I think now is actually a good time for me to point out that watching the movie, I, I missed one of the key points that is driving the action. I didn't understand Mm. this until I read the shooting script, that the reason River started breaking down and becoming so unstable is because she was psychic and they brought in those key members of parliament who knew the secret of Miranda that all, that all these people had died. And she learned that secret from their brains because she was psychic. And that's when she started deteriorating. Mm. 
and I did not members. pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did not understand that just from watching the movie. It was when I went back and was reading the script that it that it stood out to me. Okay. And so that and, and I I may be the only one that that, that <laughs> happened to. It's entirely possible because it does seem pretty clear and and uh it just made the story a little more clear in, in my head. You know, I think I really like the concept of what they were trying to do. I think the story is is great. The story that Joss wanted to tell is great. The story that he actually tells is not. Mm. Um, I think what he wanted to do was really good. I just think the execution was really poor. Yeah. The the core I- idea of evil empire trying to make its citizens more docile, but that ending up killing the docile ones and turning them into orc space zombie types... It's a really good idea. I could see that being, you know, Robert Heinlein or someone writing a short story that has exactly this going on. It's really, really good. Just because it's wrapped up in this, everything that comes from before it with Firefly, trying to deal with the characters in such a large ensemble. And there's, a, like you said at the beginning, there's a bit too much going on. If we just focused on that, it might be okay. Right. Take out the operative and turn it just into River's deterioration. And they're trying to solve it and find a way of helping her by uncovering what Miranda is, maybe. But you know, I really liked the operative. I liked his character. And actually, this is one of our uh, reader questions. Alan Alstrom asked us how the operative compares to Jubal Early from Objects in Space. Mm. And I, I think the operative is everything that Jubal Early should have been and wasn't. Mm. Yeah, it feels like a duo. Yeah, and and it, it's hard for me to remember that there was a time, you know, back in 2003, when Chuadel Ejiofor was unknown. Absolutely, a, a, a British actor just trying to make his way. Yeah, the, the studio wanted someone who was more famous to, to do the role, and it ended up going to Mr. Ejiofor. And I think he just, he was fantastic. Yeah. And he he had that, that belief, the, mm. the absolute total utter belief that the world could be a better place and that his job was to make the world a better place and that he would do that by killing River and Simon and coming from a place where he understood that he was a monster who did not belong in that better world but still wanting to provide that better world is so dangerous and so oh I'm not even sure of the word that I'm looking for but it's just scary yeah as an actor he brings a great deal of presence to anything he's in and it's perfect for this every scene he's in pretty much and and particularly when he's with the other alliance characters he dominates without having to do too much he does Mm. i I think my favorite my my favorite scene of his though is towards the end when the reavers uh, ships all start coming yep. and he he starts shouting at everybody to target the reaver ships (laughs) um you know yeah Target the Reavers. Target everyone. Summary fire! <laughs> yes, I have that in my notes as well. It's and, it, finally, he's been flapped. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and I just, just to see that, that momentary abundance of emotion from the character, I thought was really great. And it was impactful because that's really one of two moments of over-emotion that we get from him. And the mm. rest of it is just complete stoicism because he is so firm in his belief yeah what what do you think is the other moment uh when he kills mr universe okay 
um, there's a moment when, when he kills Mr. Universe where he kind of looks down in surprise at the sword because I, I don't think he intended, and I, I'm pretty sure the script also says that, that the character moment was where he, he didn't intend to actually kill him and was slightly surprised that he did. Oh, how interesting. I've never read that into it, but I'm, I, I actually want to go back and look at that. But yeah, the, the line early on when he first meets Mel, and he says, you, you cannot make me angry. And you just know they're trying to set up that eventually Mal will wind him up enough. <laughs> Talk to Mal for an hour. Yeah. He'll be angry. <laughs> I've said before I don't like Anara quipping. I don't think it quite sits with the character. But that is a good line. It was a good line. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about Anara in this movie. Because she really had no purpose other than to set up the trap. Mm-hmm. Which could have been Shepard Book. Could have been Mr. Universe. Could have been anything. Yes. And it was only her so that we could have her in the movie. Yeah. Again, there's a bit too much going on. I wanted to uh, reference, I had an interesting discussion with Ali, Ali CT, who's host of Lost Watch. Uh, for you Lost fans out there, we had a good discussion about Serenity because I said that we were going to be discussing it. And, and her reaction was, oh, I hated it. She's fairly new to Firefly and Serenity as well. Um, and there's a lot here that she didn't like. She didn't like how it's filmed the characters are out of what they were the film doesn't know what story it's telling the main characters who are killed seems to be shock value and doesn't actually help anything the deus ex of the huge backup lab river's stuff is unresolved and serenity the ship didn't feel the same at all either now that comment on the ship that's something i've seen from a number of people i think uh the kate said of that as well that it just it it doesn't feel like the same place and as much as they did a, a wonderful job in recreating and making the set even better than it was before, it just doesn't sit as well as it did originally. It was too clean. Yeah. It feels much more sci-fi than Western in this film. It was clean. It was sleek. You got a lot more of that silver chrome. Um, it was brighter. It was lit differently. Mm. And I, I think that all contributes to that different feel. I mean, it, it, it was the same space. It just looked different. Yeah. And because what they'd done, where for the show it was several different sets. You had the kitchen set, you had the engine set, the cockpit set, the room set, so on and so forth. Um, for this, they built basically two sets, the top level of the ship and the bottom level of the ship, which meant they could do that opening tracking shot that we'll talk about a bit later, I think, where they go through everything. Mm-hmm. But they can do these shots going all the way along the ship and seeing things in the background or, or framing things differently because they don't have to hide that it's only one room and as right. several people have said it it just it feels odd because it's suddenly so very different right speaking of main characters dying for shock value can mm. we talk about wash and book both for we a can. minute i i hate to say this i do but i do not care that either of them died i don't no. because they first of all neither of them were the character that i fell in love with in firefly and second of all, neither of them had a development arc in this movie that made me care about them when they died. Yeah. Neither of them did anything. And so I just, I didn't care. I did not cry. I, I was slightly shocked when Wash died just because I didn't expect it to happen quite so suddenly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, great. They landed. They're all safe bam, he's dead, you know, like there was no buildup, it was just out of nowhere, and so there was a, a momentary, you know, shock, mm. but I wasn't sad. Am I, am, I, am I a terrible human being because I wasn't sad? No, not at all. The, 
if I can give the production reasons for this, and then we'll get into the story reasons. Okay. Alan Tudyk and Ron Glass were reluctant to sign up to do any sequels, so Joss Whedon killed them, which feels just too easy. And just because they won't sign up for a sequel doesn't mean you have to kill them. You just find a way of dealing with it in future. What you should be doing is is what he does in his other shows and things. He kills his darlings. He does it for emotional effect. And like you say, right. these, these are characters who... I mean, no one cares about Wash anyway, so we can, <laughs> we don't care if he lives or dies. But Shepard Book's not in this film anyway. He doesn't right. need to be there particularly. Um, it... it his whole sequence about belief is actually really good, like it was in the show. But they, they didn't set him up to really care. There are other characters who, if they'd been killed, we would have been really upset about. Particularly, I think, Kaylee and Simon. Those no, are two this ca- Simon, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have cared this Simon either. Oh, I would have wept if Simon had bought it. So, <laughs> If River had died, I would have been upset. Yeah, that would have been... You just cannot picture this thing as River not making it through. Right. But if she has to sacrifice herself to save all of them, what a great way to do it. And and he makes us think that she does, uh, but that's a, a Joss Whedon trope. He does make you think everyone's going to die at one moment, so you don't know who's going to pull through or not. The fact that everyone does pull through, a bit weak. And I've, I've said Avengers is a great film. He does this in the Avengers. There is a moment where it looks like every single person is going to die, and everyone's shooting the Hulk, and... Hawkeye's jumping off a building and Captain America's being blasted and all of this. But hey, they all survive. It's great. Yeah. Or like um, in Ultron, killing Quicksilver instead of Hawkeye. You see, that I can completely get behind because we're set up to believe it's going to be Hawkeye. So it, it would have less resonance because you're ready for it. Okay. But actually the character that has been quite fun and, and particularly in, in that whole uh, sequence in Sokovia they give him a few moments like going into the police station and getting shot and uh, just just clipped and having the look you start liking this guy he's actually quite fun he's quite nice so it has a big impact oh sorry guys Ultron spoilers <laughs> sorry but it's okay he survives in the X-Men universe so you still get the character the weird world of Marvel characters <laughs> yeah Joss Ruckus on Twitter has asked us to talk about our thoughts on the women of Serenity and how they relate to each other. And this actually brought up some interesting conversation with with Matthew and I because, mm-hmm. honestly, in the movie, none of the women interact with each other. Yeah. In, in, in the show, we had more set relationships. You know, Kaylee and Inara was a huge relationship in the show. Mm-hmm. And, and Kaylee and River. I mean, Kaylee had a relationship with everybody. And mm-hmm. in the movie, that doesn't come across and everybody there's no found family everybody is a silo in this movie except for wash and zoe who are married except even that really doesn't come across very much in the movie yeah and this is i think going back to you talk about him learning how to do films part of the point with a film is you can't do huge amount of interactions so well and clearly you can because he eventually gets to it in the avengers but that had a lot of build up in their own separate films in this, it should have been about Mal and River and Simon and everyone else just having moments in it. Right. But yeah, the, the women and the women throughout Firefly don't have a huge amount of interaction. If you take Kaylee away, you don't. I can't think back and go, oh, but that really good moment with Zoe and Inara. Yeah. I, I cannot remember them interacting because Zoe is hamstrung by her relationship with Wash. So that's right. the story you tell about her and her history with Mel. Did Zoe and Inara ever even have a scene together? I, I want to say they must have done. 
Um, I would like someone to find it and send it to me or tell me where it is because they must have done. Uh, it's just not right. occurring to me. And, and, and when I say a scene together, I, I don't mean a scene where the entire ensemble <laughs> is together because that doesn't count. Yeah. But a scene where just Inara and Zoe interacted with one another, either in the show or the movie. I can't think of one right off the top of my head. I can think of Zoe and Kaylee. Mm-hmm. And River and Kaylee. And River and, and Kaylee. And Kaylee. <laughs> And Zoe and River in the show. Mm. Oh, Zoe and River? Yes, when Zoe was trying to coax River out because she was afraid of uh, Oh, yes, hair. they're left on the ship, aren't they? It'll still be out there yes. hiding. Waiting. <laughs> Waiting, that's a yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. So I think the women were written well on their own, mm. generally, generally speaking, as a whole, throughout the whole franchise. But relationship-wise, they were written very poorly. Yeah. And that's quite surprising because Zoe, uh, I think I made a reference, I I wish, Joss Whedon after this, he was hired to write Wonder Woman and potentially direct Wonder Woman for DC. uh, And that that didn't come to fruition. Gina Torres is the perfect woman at this time uh, in 2005 to have played Wonder Woman. She has the, the look for it, the style for it. She is strong, but she's still incredibly feminine. Um, and stunning right. looking. And Inara has that as well, but it's much more of a, I want to say, traditional beauty. And the fact she's now gone on to play, uh, you know, female sidekicks, but beautiful love interests. Right. Absolutely leans into that. That would have been a really nice contrast. Both two, two women's are ex- great expressions of female beauty, but in two opposite, not opposite ends of the spectrum, two different versions of it. I would have yeah. enjoyed something on that. The only thing I can remember is the talk about the dress and Kaylee loving the the big strawberry meringue dress. Right. And so Zoe wanting something with a little bit more slink. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other questions we got was Vivian, uh, host of Burger of the Week for Bob's Burgers fans. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mal and Simon's relationship and them as individuals in this movie? Now we've talked a bit about Simon particularly, um, how he's very different in this and they're they're leaning very heavily on his protection of river mal we've talked about a bit it is he that different from firefly yes okay <laughs> but what about their relationship the two, the two of them because that opening sequence it, it, it forms a lot of the the whole walk through the ship they were not this antagonistic towards one another in the show as they were in the movie mm. this movie opens with simon hating mal I mean, the the expression on his face is just so hard and so dark. And I understand it's because Mal's taking River on a job and, and Simon's trying to protect her. But the sequence ends when they come back with Simon punching Mal. And the Simon of Firefly would never have done that. Yeah. And Mal says things to Simon like, well, giving him ultimatums, like, I told you, you know, what you could do if you were giving me orders or something like that. I don't remember exactly what he said, but you know, it, it, he was threatening him to kick him off the ship and it was just, they were enemies from the beginning of this movie. And while they may not have been the best of friends in the show, they were at least companionable. You know, they were, they were Mm -hmm. members of the crew. I mean, Mal called Simon and River part of the crew Mm-hmm. And and so that relationship of being part of me and mine was missing, and it fundamentally changed the tone. Yeah, of the story. 
I, I think the most telling moment of, of that difference is the first introduction of the Doctor uh, in the, the long sequence. Mal turns around from the engine and finds Simon just standing there, a, a bit like River did to Simon in the, in the opening, which is quite a nice uh, comparison. And Mal genuinely seems embarrassed or a bit afraid of the Doctor. There's... Uh, Shortly after this, he treat, they're very much equals. He's the one that he talks to on the same level as him. But at that opening moment, there's just something of... He's really wary of the Doctor. And that's not something I would have expected from Mel. He is, the way I think of him, convinced of his own superiority um, and ownership of the, of the uh, captaincy of the ship. Absolutely. Mm. But he turns around and he's a bit, oh, let's make a joke about it. You know, there's no, no need to be afraid, Doctor. And the Doctor is just completely implacable. Uh, you know, he's completely proper, he's dressed nicely, he's, it comes across as set <laughs> and completely sorted and, and confident in himself. And he says, I'm, I'm not afraid, this is anger. And Mal tries to make a joke of it, but it's just, it's not landing. Right. That's very different from the relationship we'd seen before. So mm-hmm. it sets us up that something is, is has changed, at the very least. If not, it's now just written differently. Right. I think it would be okay if it was a change in the relationship, if they had explained it, you know, if there had been one line that said, well, Hey, you know, you, you, you messed up this job for us. And so now we don't get along or, or, um, you know, if Simon is really that angry at Mal because he did put river in danger and she got hurt or something. Yeah. Um, had instead, it happened once it was before. Just written differently. Mm. Yeah. 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 That, that would have just, again, it's windiest in a little bit more backup to what's happening to explain it because there's just too much of a leap from where we were to where we are um my friend beth daniels wants to know our thoughts about the theme song take me up into the black tell them i ain't coming back burn the land and boil the sea you're not joining in i'm not i'm sorry (laughs) i don't know all the words by heart yet Um, (laughs) i think we know i love the theme song yeah and we talked about it pretty extensively and in our firefly episodes and can I tell you how disappointed I was that the Ballad of Serenity was not played in this movie? Yeah. I, I think there's a, an instrumental version of it over the end of the credits, but it's a shame. It's a lovely song. Yeah. I I identify this show and this universe with that song now. And so for it not to have been in the movie at all was just really disappointing. All right. Let's stop being grumpy gusses and yeah. actually talk about some of the things that we really liked in the movie because there are some you guys i yeah. promise and actually i think this is a good point to bring in um some listener feedback for a very a very positive take on the film introducing feedback from my father <laughs> who he listened to our firefly episodes and realized he'd never watched firefly which completely surprised me because Serenity is one of his favourite sci-fi films. It's it's something I know he he's said when it's on TV. He just leaves it on because it's so much fun to watch. So so we had a chat about it and asked him to to put down some thoughts to for me. So got a bit of a lengthy email. I'm going to dig out a couple of interesting points because um, I wanted to know, as someone who hadn't watched the film, hadn't watched the series, why does this film appeal to him so well, and has that changed now he's watched Firefly? His response was that they obviously set out to make a film that stands alone. The universe is set in, what has happened to River, her rescue, the main baddie are all established before the credits, and the ship and the crew during the credits. Seeing a young woman being tortured puts you on her side straight away. This pace is kept up during the film, so you want to know 
what happens next. And of course, there's lots of action, including an early introduction to the Reavers. Side note, he spelled Reavers R-E-I-V-E-R-S, which is, uh, he's a historian, and that's based on the border Reavers, uh, the English-Scottish border in the, uh, I'm sorry, Dad, I think the Tudor period. <laughs> um, they used to strike out and attack people, whether they were English or Scottish, so bless him. <laughs> Um, the goodies are also not too good, but do the right thing despite the odds, and there's some witty dialogue. Of course, the film is set in a dystopian universe genre, where a small but intrepid group takes on the supposedly omnipotent empire so you can fill in the details yourself. And of course, it ends with a man-to-man showdown between the hero and the baddie who is akin to a Terminator, with the odds stacked against our hero, while River saves them using the skills the evil alliance instilled in her. Having watched it since Firefly, I don't think it's improved my enjoyment of the film. And I can, I can see that. Coming to it as someone who has a lot of good experience with sci-fi, um, he and I are very much both into uh, <laughs> good science fiction. Things like Dune and the Foundation series. Yeah, there's a lot in this film to enjoy, like we said earlier. And you can just read into it and go, okay, it's an evil empire. They do dastardly things, anything they can do to maintain power, and the operative will do whatever he needs to so you can then focus on some of the characters and some of the relationships that you might not know that you're finding out a little bit about. Um, and I, I'm, I'm quite enjoying hearing someone who likes it just for what it is without having to put all the pressure that, that we see coming to it as fans of Firefly. Yeah, I agree with that. That's quite lovely. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mandy, what were some of the moments, performances and elements of the film that you like? My absolute favourite was after... After River says the word Miranda and then has her freak out, and <laughs> and um, the the crew has gone to Mr. Un- uh, to Mr. Universe and and they've watched the video and they all figure out that that she said the word Miranda. Simon goes to River trying to figure out what Miranda is, and he asks her if he's talking to Miranda, and River just gives him this scathing look. Yes. Of are you an idiot? And that's just amazing because that is a direct callback to to the show. Yes. Um, she a couple times in the show. It's it's fantastic. It's that wonderful, you know, sibling relationship. You know, showing that that she knows that she's got a problem, but she's still in there and she understands. And 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 I just I loved it. It made me laugh. Yeah, I I think I've said before, someone who doesn't have a lot of dialogue has to do a lot of acting with their expressions. And that's exactly it. And in in that production script, I think there's even she has a line there. And it's so much better without a line. Just with her giving him a look. She says something like, oh, I'm I'm not a multiple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad she didn't. All she needed was that look. Yeah. Um, And it it tells you a lot about the sibling relationship, uh, reminiscent of uh, I threw up in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Or... Um, well, I guess this one's not not sibling, but um, even in this movie, she had another one of those those deadpan humor moments where she said, "I swallowed a bug." I swallowed a bug. You know, <laughs> after yeah, this lovely. whole like epic action chasing, you know, flying through the air with the reavers chasing them, mm-hmm. and her only reaction while everybody is moaning and groaning because they had a crash landing is, "I swallowed a bug." Yeah. And that is fantastic. Yeah, really nice. I also really quite liked River's big fight scene when she was triggered by the code in oh, the yeah. Foodie Bar uh, mm. commercial uh, because it was choreographed for a dancer because she does have that dancing background and it was beautiful. Yeah. It was 
awe inspiring, I think is, is the, is the word I can use there because I mean, at one point she bends her leg and, and kicks around the corner of a wall <sighs> oh. and kicks a dude in his head, you know, because a normal person can't do that, but River can. And it, mm. it was just great. And the, the final part that actually had me kind of on the, on the seat of my chair, as I was watching, I was completely engrossed in, uh, when, when the Serenity was crash landing on at, at Mr. Universe's base. Uh, when all the Reavers are fighting the operative and, and they're trying to get in under the wire and, and Wash says that he has to glide her in and everybody's like, well, is that even possible? <laughs> and so that whole thing where it's really just flying and then it's bouncing and, and I thought that scene was done really, really well. Mm. That, that's really interesting because that's, I think, the one bit in the film where they use miniatures rather than computer-generated uh, yes. graphics. Yes, it was. And, and for me, it's the the one, I think, actually, I remember Laura saying this in the, the live tweets, it's the one bit that stands out as not being quite as good as the rest, because the CG in this is really impressive. They do a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. But obviously, the, the practical effect for you lands a lot better. It does, but it's it's more than just that practical effect of it hitting the ground. It's also, you know, everybody strapping in in... Yeah. In the ship mm. and, and kind of how they're interacting and how they're scared, but they all know Wash can do this. And it, it just like it was the culmination of, of everything happening at one time that I really liked in that moment. And it, it, it was enough to kind of keep me on the edge of my seat wondering how is he really going to pull this off? And are they going to crash land? Is the Serenity going to be OK? And that sort of thing. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Good. Why don't you tell us what you liked? No, no surprise that I liked Zoe. <laughs> Gina Torres is, is fantastic as well, but actually it's the quiet moments of Zoe that really stand out. When they first go on Miranda, she just takes point, and she's the one scouting, making sure there's no one behind a corner. The, the planet is empty. It's desolate. There's no one there. Mm-hmm. But she's still being cautious with her big shotgun, making sure it's all okay. It's not called to. She's not given an order to do it, but it, it just informs your, cap- your idea of her capability. And how much right. she is a good soldier. And then at the end, with the, the sort of funeral sequence and her coming forward in, in the long gown, she looks stunning and she has this sort of quiet poise and grace. There's no over-the-top funerary moments of singing or crying or, or anything. It's just quiet and composed. It's absolutely lovely. And, and then, if we're talking the graphics and the moments, that Reavership. Oh, <laughs> The, the predatory thing that comes at them when they leave Miranda. It, as, if I'd seen this when I was a kid, I would have wanted that as a toy. It's a, a menacing-looking ship. Just There's so much potential in the way they make it look. And, and it's exactly right, because it looks like an insect sort of preying when you, you get the, the films with the, uh, the... the monster films with the beast stalking them in the dark or something. It's got that kind of look and feel to it. It's really nice. Right. And I promised as we go through uh, that I would talk a bit about that opening sequence because the opening sequence is phenomenal. It sets up what should be a wonder, one, uh, wonderful film. You have multiple time periods. You have a voiceover. So you think, okay, it's going to standard sci-fi fare, bit of a voiceover, a bit of world building going on. But then it turns out it's the director of the facility from Bones who's teaching a young river. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Um teaching Young River. And and really quickly, we're told that she's River, but again, they start informing us of, of how good she is because she's talking, giving ideas and, and responses to things whilst writing in this really quick Chinese language. So you can see that River's really good and quite how good she is. 
and then you get the moment of violence of her being stabbed in the head and you suddenly jump forward uh, what probably eight years maybe to River being tortured experimented on whatever and you have the, the menace of the alliance and then it turns out it's Simon and Simon rescues her and it's a really good rescue um, although she does hide on the ceiling to escape from people and I really want to know the numbers of how many people hide on ceilings to escape things in Joss Whedon properties because <laughs> that's a thing they do a lot and I read a really funny thing that the corridor that she, she braces herself on, they actually built too wide, like half a foot too wide or something. So she, she couldn't reach the brace. So if you actually look, there's a sort of boxed in bit as though there's a pipe behind it so mm-hmm. that she could brace her foot on it. <laughs> and the paint was actually still wet while they were filming that. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> the, were they painting the leaves? Is that what they were doing? <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Um. So you've got that. So you, you know we've we've had a voiceover. We've had a couple of time zones. We're seeing Simon as being much more confident than we've seen him before and playing this role. I'd always it, it, my backstory headcanon for this was that uh, a bit like in the Bright Sessions, they'd rescued River and then delivered her to him in a box. But actually, he's the one who has to go in and rescue her and eventually put her in a crate and smuggle her away. Well, see, and I think that that's a piece of the retconning, I think, because I always thought the same thing, that they delivered her to him in a box, because I feel like he said that in the pilot Serenity. I could be wrong, but that was the impression that I got, and that's why I was so confused watching the beginning of this and wondering, is this erasing the show or or what? I, I wasn't sure what was going on there. Don't know. I can't remember the details of the pilot. I can't remember there being anything like that, but I'd have to go back and check. But then we get that terrific, the, the voiceover of the, the operative who asks them to rewind and it suddenly becomes clear we're skipping forward a bit in time again and we're, we're watching it as a hologram as he's watching it and the, the frame he pauses on is the great look from Simon to River and River staring off into the distance. And then, and then you get the whole sequence with the operative, again, showing he has no name, he has no rank, he just believes he's doing whatever he, whatever he needs to do secrets aren't his aren't his job but keeping them is and then you cut to the logo serenity which it turns out is the logo on the ship so you get a really nice transition there and then this i think it's four or five minutes what, what appears to be one cut uh, one long take throughout the ship because they finally have these contiguous sets so you can film mm-hmm. from the cockpit all the way down you have jane you have zoe you go into the engine room introduce kaylee introduce the doctor go down the stairs, you've got the med bay, you introduce other characters as you go through, and then into the cargo bay, where you have the mule and everyone loading up there. And it just, it introduces the ship, which Joss Whedon talked about being the the 10th character, and introducing the characters and a few of the relationships and personalities at the same time. It's a wonderful sequence, and I I like a long take in a film. I I always think it's such a sign of, of professional confidence. I'm quite interested that they hid a break in that, the the long take is, is most famous from a Hitchcock film called Rope, which is mostly filmed in long takes, but actually they could only film 10 minutes at a time. So every 10 minutes, there's a bit where it sort of sweeps past someone's uh, someone's jacket or it sweeps past the desk and he hides a cut when, when the desk or the jacket fills the screen and then it, it cuts to the next thing. There's a moment like that in this where when they're going down the stairs, the camera actually swings 270 degrees one way rather than the 90 degrees to take the corner it should do. And in that, they hide a bit of CG to, to put the take together as one. No, it, it is a beautiful shot. And I, I agree with you that that it's beautiful. It's impressive. And it does introduce us 
it reintroduces us to the world and to the characters. Yeah. And of course, if we're talking about moments that we like, they do three moments, I think, of really good single lines of dialogue, which are the sort of things you use on trailers, and I think were used on trailers. Jane's uh, shiny, let's be bad guys. Shiny, let's be bad guys. And Mal with his, I aim to misbehave. I aim to misbehave. And then his ending of, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a world without sin. Yeah. That's good writing. That's good dialogue. <laughs> I did also like the the final exchange between uh, Mal and Zoe at the end because oh, it, yeah. it has more than one meaning. Yeah, where she's uh, talking about herself. Yeah. Think she'll hold together? She's tore up plenty, but she'll fly true. Oh. And, you know, it's... It, it's a, the ship and Zoe both at that point, and I think that's that's a really great way to end Zoe's story. Yeah, I agree. And the nice reference where he finds River in the cockpit, and he refers to her as an albatross, referencing back to the old man of the sea that we talked about earlier. Uh, it's a really nice little moment, and she's his lucky charm. Yeah. I do like that this movie ends on a similar note to how Objects in Space ended. It's a moment between Mal and River. Yeah. <laughs> You've just reminded me of it, though. I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, <laughs> and, and and if you think back to our conversation about objects in space, that was the main reason that you loved objects in space so much. Because yeah. It's her asking to come on board and be part of the crew. Right. Yeah. It's not the twee ending of the first rule of flying, love. Ugh. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but they still have, they're rebuilding a connection. I yeah, think. absolutely. Yes. Which is nice. That is very nice, and it, it's very clear she is going to be able to do more around there from there on, which would have been great to see. You would have loved to have seen her flying the ship, running missions, talking Simon down, something. Yeah, but, you know, River is still unresolved. I mean, she's still got mental instability. You know, just because the secret of Miranda is out doesn't mean that she's magically cured. Yeah. That doesn't get addressed at all. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, they they don't address it, which is, if there was a sequel, it would have been quite interesting to see, do they fall back into it and having her being slightly wacky? Or do they actually make her a full, competent member of the crew now? Because Summer Glau can do it all, so... Yes, she absolutely can. And you referenced her being a dancer. Uh, I'd recommend checking out, I think it's the Angel episode, Waiting in the Wings, where she's actually on as a dancer. Yes. Is it Waiting in the Wings? Pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, where they have her on as a dancer, and she is uh, really, really good in her little role in that episode. In her little role in that episode. Well, it is a little role. She's a dancer. Okay. Angel waiting in the wings, prima ballerina. So we've talked for quite a while about Serenity. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about it? I finally read the graphic novel that has Shepard Book's backstory. And oh, really? I feel like we should talk about it, even though Shepard Book wasn't really in the movie very much. Yes, that's the the big unresolved thing. He there's a moment of. It's of interest to me how much you seem to know about that world. Wasn't born a shepherd, man. Have to tell me about that sometime. No, I don't. <laughs> Which I think is him setting us up for. You are never going to know this big question that I've been setting out for hours for you. Yeah, <laughs> it the, the timeline is funny. It doesn't really make sense, but. Basically, the story of, of Shepard Book is that he was a child in an abusive family. His father was abusive to him, and so he ends up running away. Um, his name was Henry Evans, and he kind of grows up to be 
on the not good side of the law. Mm. You know, he he's wanted for um, criminal things, and <laughs> criminal he, criminality. <laughs> yes, he's wanted for criminality. Um, he's not a very good person. He um, kind of throws his compatriots under the bus and lets them get caught, and he doesn't. And he ends up being approached by the independents. This is actually before the war. The independents are preparing for war, and they recruit him. And at first, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it, but then he realizes his life kind of doesn't have anything else to do, so he might as well, and he joins the cause. And then they start talking about how they need to infiltrate the alliance. They need a mole to bring the alliance down. And nobody wants to volunteer because it's it's basically a suicide mission. It's a one-way trip and you you have to just kind of completely become who they believe are the bad guys. And so Henry Evans volunteers. He takes a new identity, this man named Daryl Book, and he joins the alliance, starts climbing the ranks of the alliance and becomes captain of his own ship and is manning um, this big operation that's kind of been coordinated through several alliance ships and the alliance are defeated in this particular mission and it turns out this is what the story opens with 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 this particular part and and then we find out you know through his backstory that that he was the independent mole who was in the alliance and he set it up and the alliance blames him because he was the the captain and, and he gave the order and, and it happened and so they kick him out and he kind of becomes this homeless drifter guy and gets beat up a lot because people recognize him as being the captain of this alliance ship that killed a whole bunch of people i think it was like four thousand soldiers doctors women all died because of this mission that he did right and he gets beat up one too many times ends up in a homeless shelter has this like existential crisis with chicken soup and then finds himself in a church, and that's where he converts and becomes a shepherd. And uh, in this timeline, once he has healed enough and feels like he can rejoin the world, the book ends with Kaylee finding him, and he gets on the ship. Oh, nice. Um, So the the only thing that, that really bothered me, apart from the timeline, was the way that the rebels could see what was happening in the Alliance because Book was in the Alliance was they removed his eye and put a transplant in his his eye so that it was a camera. Okay. So they could see everything that he could see. And I just thought that was weird because there's nothing about that in the movie or the show. But I did think it was interesting that, you know, he he was a pretty violent man and then ended up being the cause of of 4,000 deaths. And that's what what turned him around. So oh, interesting. Yeah, the violent thing is not too surprising. He takes out the ship and he shot. I shot down the ship that killed us. I killed right. the ship that killed us. That's a, a really really nice expression for it, <laughs> for right. that violence. And the point in Objects of Space, Jubal Early takes down Book in the same way he takes down Mal really quickly, really violently. He knows that he's a threat, so he does whatever he can just to take him out. Yeah. Yeah, and so actually that, that kind of does make sense because, I mean, Daryl Book would have been famous for what he did. I mean, everybody yeah. in the Alliance knew what he did because he, he ended up getting kicked out of the Alliance. And so when Jubal Early says, that ain't a shepherd, 
he knew exactly who he was. Yeah, true. I had two questions to wrap up that I wanted to ask you. Okay. In your thoughts, you say uh, you were quite excited that Sarah Paulson was in this. What yes. What do you know her from? Why, why does she occur to you as a famous actress? I know her from lots of things, uh, most recently being American Horror Story. Um, okay. She's been in, in many, many seasons of that, but um, I've I've kind of followed her career all the way back from when she was on this, you know, very short-running show on the WB called Jack and Jill. Okay. That that's where I I first found her, and then she did the movie Down with Love with Ewan McGregor, which is actually the movie that Joss knew her from, which is how she got this part. Uh-huh. And um, she's just done done several other things, and and I really like her. Okay. I always have trouble placing her if I haven't seen the film in a while, because I know her as Harriet Hayes from Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, but the two characters look and act very differently, so it it's, always takes me a moment to place where I know her from. Okay. Uh, she also played Marsha Cross in the O.J. Simpson story oh, really? that aired last year, but that was also a Ryan Murphy thing, and he's a uh, American Horror Story, so he's kind of like Joss, and he takes all of his actors everywhere. Ah, Okay. And actually, I've just looked her up on the IMDb. She's in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> she, was. she was. She was. She is Meredith's mother. Oh, that's right. She played yeah. young Ellis Grey. How interesting. She did. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know. <laughs> My other question for you. There's a setup early on where the operative says to the doctor, do you know what your sin is? Pride. About his work and trying to show her off. And he then uses that line at the end for Mal. Um, he says... Mal, do you know what your sin is? <laughs> Mal just overwrites his cool moment of, ah, I like all seven, but for today it's wrath. Right. Do you think he actually had a sin that he was going to talk to Mal and say, oh, I think your your sin is sloth? <laughs> or is uh, it well, just... it certainly wasn't going to be sloth. <laughs> <laughs> is it the, like Ezekiel seven? 2517 from Pulp Fiction it's just something cold to say to someone when you're going to pop a cap in his bottom <laughs> um, I I think I think he had one you know because again mm. we're going to go back to this idea of belief and and the operative believes that he's right he believes that he knows what these other people are doing and why they're doing it and that they're wrong and that he's right and so I do believe that he had a sin for Mal okay I don't know which one it was. I, I would probably say Pride, but it can't be because he wouldn't reuse Pride after he used it for Simon. Well, I, I ran a Twitter poll on this and Pride came back overwhelmingly as the, the main reason. But that's what made me wonder, is it just this is his killing catchphrase? Well, you know what? That could be. It could be. I wonder what your thoughts were. So. Yeah, I, I would say if it's not Pride, well, okay, if it is Pride, that's probably just his catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. But pride makes sense um, because Mal's very arrogant. Mm. It could also be greed because Mal's a, a thief. And, you know, and, and, and that doesn't really make sense in the context of what's happening in the story. But it, it could be. Okay. I'm, I'm going to challenge the fanfic writers. I want the operative to have said, do you know what your sin is? Lust. Now come and give me a kiss. And you can continue the story from there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was expecting you to laugh at that. Oh, that went down um, like a lead balloon. Um, um, yeah, I got I, I got nothing on that one. <laughs> so someone's probably already written. You guys don't need to go and write that, but we can edit this out. <laughs> now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Listener feedback. 
Hey. Each week, we are showcasing uh, what you guys are saying about us, if it's good, usually. <laughs> it's all good. We like feedback. We like hearing from everyone. We do. Um, tell us if you agree with us. Tell us if you disagree with us. You know, tell us what you want to hear on the show next. You know, tell us anything, you know. Tell us what you had for breakfast, and we'll put that on here, too. <laughs> Uh, Sherry Slade, she was my guest on uh, the Heather's episode a few weeks back, and she 100% wants to come back and talk about Nightmare on Elm Street with me. So that could be a future episode coming up, you guys. That would be interesting. I'd like that. JD Katz, at Cat with a View on Twitter, said, I'm so glad I had saved listening to Pop Culturally Deprived, because it's a treat. I'm like a squirrel, hoarding good things so they last. Ha <laughs> ha. I think it's fantastic. But... Hopefully you've gotten through the Firefly ones. Otherwise, that's a lot to hoard, so you can uh, spend a good week or two listening through them. <laughs> right. And finally, Brandon Size at Shoe Size 38. He really enjoyed the Batman episode on Pop Culturally Deprived. It was his first time reading that book and his first comic in 25 years. Yay! <laughs> nice. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about that uh, that Batman episode, so I think we definitely need to do some more uh, comic episodes. We will, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure that you're very sad that you weren't on that episode, yeah. and I'd like to be on the next one. So we, we will do that sometime. You talked sometime. about Batman without me. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was in Barcelona, admittedly, so... <laughs> I, that is I, true. I was having quite a nice time without. Um, it was your birthday, so yeah. you didn't need to talk about Batman on your birthday. Well, I probably did. <laughs> I, I don't think a day goes past that I don't talk about Batman. So, And we ended up at the, the hotel in Barcelona we stayed at, Almost every shop down the street from it was comic book, board game, action figure, card game type shops. <laughs> so we had a terrific one of the days there just going in and out of these shops and having so, little cool things. And Why didn't I see any pictures of those shops? All I saw was a picture of the yarn shop that wasn't even that good. Did you see the, the angel bobblehead that I posted? There was no, there was an angel bobblehead that must have been a meter, a meter and a half tall. <laughs> It's oh my god, I'm going to have to go find that. I was so tempted to go, okay, I need to buy that, take that home. I'm, I will admit, I don't tend to post photos in shops, and it's really hard with those kind of places, because there was so much cool uh, Harry Potter stuff and Buffy stuff and, and MCU stuff that I knew you guys would all love. But I always feel a bit weird about taking photos of things that I'm not actually buying. Uh, fair point. So, yeah, I'm, it, It's a really fine line, because there is such cool stuff. But also, if you want people to see it, you should give money for it. Right, yeah. <laughs> Okay, you guys, if you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, or a comic book now, you can tweet at us on Twitter at EloquentGushing, or use the show hashtag PCDeprived. You can email us at podcast at EloquentGushing.com, or you can comment on this post on EloquentGushing.com. Personally, I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. Please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the number one way to make people find the show and get more listeners and more feedback and more hits and clicks and stuffs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived where we'll talk about Farscape Season 1. Yes! Until next time. <laughs> Farscape, we've made it! <laughs> Matthew's not excited at all about Farscape, you guys. Not at all. Uh, if you thought Firefly was long... <laughs> Well, we're going to yeah. do an entire season in one episode, you guys. Yeah. 
Um, I think the, the general idea, just to give you a heads up on it, is we'll probably pick up on some of the really key episodes and touch on characters. So rather than doing a, a, a deep dive on every episode or everything, so we'll try and keep it contained. There's some, some good stuff to get into, so I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I am a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. Oh, you were supposed to cut it off in the middle. I could. I am a leaf on the wind. Watch how I... (laughs) (laughs) Ding dong, the wash is dead.